This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus and recentering. Today on Finding Center, we'll hear a BYU Campus Forum address by Sharon Eubank, Director of LDS Charities and First Counselor in the General Relief Society Presidency of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, titled Turning Enemies into Friends. It was given January 23, 2018. Good morning, and welcome to today's Forum Assembly. My name is Jim Rasband, and I serve as the Academic Vice President, and President Worthen has asked me to conduct this morning. Our great honor Today and pleasure to hear from Sister Sharon Eubank, Director of LDS Charities and First Counselor in the General Presidency of the Relief Society. Her address today is entitled, Turning Enemies into Friends. Today's lecture is part of our University Forum series, which may seem like a bit of departure from the norm with respect to general officers of the Church, who usually um, speak at devotionals. In this case, however, we invited Sister Eubank to speak in her role as Director of LDS Charities long before she was called to serve as the First Counselor in the General Presidency of the Relief Society. After, re after she received her calling, we felt like we were getting a bit of a double bonus. So today, in this forum setting, we're excited to hear from her both on topics she wishes to address, but also about her work as Director of LDS Charities. Sister Eubank received a bachelor's degree in English from Brigham Young University. After her graduation, she taught English as a second language in Japan, worked as a legislative aide in the United States Senate, and owned a retail education store here in Provo. She joined LDS Charities in 1998. LDS Charities is the humanitarian arm of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Its purpose is to relieve suffering, foster self-reliance, and provide opportunities for service. Early on in her work with LDS Charities, she established 17 international employment offices focusing on helping women to qualify for jobs or start small businesses. For five years, she also directed the humanitarian wheelchair donation program, expanding both the number and quality of those donations. Then, in 2008, she became regional director of the LDS Charities for the Middle East, overseeing the humanitarian work there in 11 different countries. In 2011, she was appointed director of LDS Charities Worldwide Operations, and now LDS Charities has sponsored relief and development projects in 189 different countries around the world. As I mentioned earlier, in addition to her role as director of LDS Charities, Sister Eubank serves as a member of the General Presidency of the Relief Society. In that role, she helps lead 7.2 million women in 162 countries. She's emphasized that serving others is, quote, the very DNA of being a member of Christ's Church, close quote, and it's the heart and soul of Relief Society. Would you please join me in giving a warm welcome to Sister Sharon Eubank. That was a very nice introduction, and it sounds much more impressive than it was when I lived it. <laughs> and I appreciated my friend Christopher Akiki's prayer. I have known him since before he was a deacon, and I'm just so proud to see him at BYU and, and all of you. I was a student at BYU, and I was probably a pretty mediocre student, but I absolutely thrilled to come back here and spend some time with you. 
At Brigham Young University many years ago, there was this great athletic coach, and his name was Eugene Roberts. He grew up in Provo, and he was sort of kind of drifting aimlessly with the wrong kind of friends. And then something remarkable happened to him. So I want to read to you his words about what he wrote. He said, several years ago when Provo City was scarred with unsightly saloons and other questionable forms of, of, of amusement, I was standing one evening on the street waiting for my gang to show up. This was a hundred years ago. When I noticed that the Provo Tabernacle was lighted up and that a large crowd was moving in that direction. I had nothing to do, so I drifted over there and I went inside. I thought I might find some of my friends or at least some of the girls that I was interested in. Upon entering, I ran across three or four of my fellows, and we placed ourselves under the gallery where there was a crowd of young ladies. That seemed to promise some entertainment. We were not interested in what came from the pulpit. We knew that the people on the rostrum were a bunch of old fogies. They didn't know anything about life, and they certainly couldn't tell us anything because we knew it all. So we settled down to have a good time. Right in the midst of our disturbance, there thundered from the pulpit the following statement. You can't tell the character of an individual by the way he does his daily work. Watch him when his work is done. See where he goes. Note the companions he seeks and the things he does when he may do as he pleases. And then you can tell his true character. I looked up toward the rostrum because I was struck with the powerful statement. And up there I saw a slim, dark-haired, fierce-eyed fighting man whom I knew and feared but I didn't have very much particular love for. As he continued, the speaker went on to make a comparison. He said, let's take the eagle, for example. This bird works as hard and as efficiently as any other animal or bird in doing its daily work. It provides for itself and its young by the sweat of its brow, so to speak. But when its daily work is over and the eagle has time of its own to do just as it pleases, note how it spends its time, its recreational moments. It flies in the highest realms of heaven, spreads its wings, and bathes in the upper air, for it loves the pure, clean atmosphere and the lofty heights. On the other hand, let us consider the hog. This animal grunts and grubs and provides for its young just as well as the eagle. But when its working hours are over and it has some recreational moments, observe where it goes and what it does. The hog will seek out the muddiest hole in the pasture and roll and soak itself in the filth, for this is what it loves. People can be either eagles or hogs in their leisure time. Now, when I heard this short speech—this is still Gene Roberts—he said, I was dumbfounded, and I turned to my companions, for I was ashamed to be caught listening. And for to my surprise, I found everyone in my gang with his attention fixed on the speaker. We went out of the tabernacle that evening rather quiet, and we separated from each other unusually early. I thought of that speech all the way home, because I classified myself immediately as of the hog family. I thought of that speech for years. That night there was implanted within me the faintest beginnings of ambition to lift myself out of the hog group and to rise to that of the eagle. There was instilled within me that same evening the urge to help fill up the mud holes in the social pasture so that people with hog tendencies would find it difficult to wallow in recreational filth. As a result of constant thinking about that speech, I was stirred to devote my whole life and my profession toward developing wholesome recreational activities for the young people so that it would be natural and easy for them to indulge in the eagle type of leisure. 
This is still Eugene. He said, The man who made that speech which affected my life more than any other speech I ever heard was President George H. Brimhall. May God bless him. That's the end of his story. George Brimhall was the president of BYU a hundred years ago. He's the president that helped it transition from BYU Academy to become a university. He was the President Worthen of that time. And he was revered and admired for his ability to move people the way he moved Eugene. And he may have never realized that his talk in the Provo Tabernacle that day touched somebody like Eugene, but it completely changed Eugene's life. And he himself became a respected teacher and a coach at BYU. So I've thought a lot about this question, and you probably have too. What do I do in my leisure time? And am I going to be a hog or an eagle? And maybe you're like me because you might ask, what leisure time? <laughs> I know that you're busy. I know that you're university students and you have callings and family and friends and a lot of obligations. But after an experience that I had a couple weeks ago, and I realized that as busy as I think I am, the Lord puts opportunities right in my path, and all I have to do is take advantage of them. The experience I had was right after President Monson's funeral. The Monson family asked the Relief Society if we would deliver dozens of these floral arrangements that had been sent for his funeral and take them around to different care centers and hospitals around the valley. So I took one of these big, beautiful arrangements into a care center that was right by President and Sister Monson's uh, family home. And the woman behind the desk, she wondered what I was doing because it's huge, you know, I'm bringing this in. And when she understood that what it was and that I was delivering it, she burst into a smile because President Monson was very well known in that care center. I came to understand that he spent a lot of his leisure time visiting with people there. And I believe that the Lord isn't asking us very many times for big, time-consuming gestures. He merely wants minutes of our time every day to help another person on their way. So take a moment to think about your own grandfather and the lessons that you may have learned from him, the kind of figure that he was or he is in your life. I want to talk about Ammon and the other sons of Mosiah. They had a very famous grandfather. Their grandfather was King Benjamin. And King Benjamin taught a profound, compelling truth that motivates us today, centuries later. In fact, there's a food pantry in Las Vegas. It's run by members of another faith, but they resonated so much to the scripture that King Benjamin said that they put it up in vinyl letters in the food bank. <laughs> it's only 36 words, but it has realigned forever how I want to spend my leisure time. It's Mosiah 2.17. It's very famous. These are the 36 words. And behold, I tell you these things that ye may learn wisdom, that ye may learn that when ye are in the service of your fellow beings, ye are only in the service of your God. Now, in his youth, Ammon was even more off track than Eugene Roberts. He spent time with his friends, and the scriptures say they spent time seeking to destroy the Church and lead astray the people of the Lord. Well, he had a miraculous conversion. We all know about this. And as a result, the seed of his grandfather's 36 words started to grow in Ammon's heart. And these brothers who had wallowed like hogs in their youth, they wanted to soar like eagles. He and his three brothers felt this inspiration to go up to the land of the Lamanites. Why? The scriptures said they had undertaken to preach the word of God to a wild and hardened and ferocious people. 
a people who delighted in murdering the Nephites, robbing and plundering them, and their hearts were sent upon riches and gold and silver and precious stones, and they sought to obtain these things by murdering and plundering that they might not labor for them with their own hands. Why would Ammon and his brothers want to spend their precious time in something that's likely going to be a waste of time? There's going to be no positive change, and it might result in their death. They could have been settling down and taking their seats in the government. They could have become great leaders in the community. Mosiah 28 tells us the reason. They could not bear that any human soul would perish. Even the very thought that any soul should endure endless torment did cause them to quake and tremble, and thus did the Spirit of the Lord work upon them, for they were the very vilest of sinners, and the Lord saw fit in His infinite mercy to spare them. You know the story. As Ammon entered the land of Ishmael, the Lamanites took him and they bound him, and it was their custom to bind all of the Nephites who fell into their hands. Ammon's not the first one. And they carried him before the king, and it was thus left to the pleasure of the king to slay them, or to retain them in captivity, or to cast them into prison, or to cast them out of his land. And the scriptures say, thus Ammon was carried before the king who was over the land of Ishmael, who acquired of Ammon, who inquired of Ammon if it were his desire. This is sort of almost sarcastic. Do you want to dwell in the land among the Lamanites or among this people? And then Ammon surprised him and said, yea. I desire to dwell among this people for a time, and perhaps until the day I die, and I will be thy servant. Wouldn't his grandfather have loved to hear that from his grandson? I will be your servant. Ammon was assigned to be a shepherd, and like probably all of the other servants, the rest of those shepherds that were there, they probably didn't have the same interest in Ammon that Lamoni did. I don't know what those three days were like when he was busy being a shepherd, but I suspect they weren't thrilled that a Nephite was out with them doing their work. But three days later, whatever else had been going on, there became a problem. And in the Nephite, in the flocks, they got scattered by some wild men that were there. And Ammon saw the afflictions of those that he termed to be his brethren, and he looked upon them as his brothers. When that catastrophic event happened, when they scattered them and those servants were afraid that they would be killed, Ammon's heart swelled inside of him and he, he saw this was his chance to be a servant to his brethren. Isn't that remarkable? He doesn't think of them as Lamanites or enemies or adversaries or a bunch of jerks. He feels like they're his brethren. And this opened up the opportunity for Ammon to have another conversation with the Lamanite king. This is one reformed sinner who's talking to another, and that Lamanite king's heart was pricked about his own sins and his own habits. And he asked in his heart, how could he be reconciled to God and have those sins and murders taken away by the merits of Jesus Christ? In this story, Ammon and King Lamoni, they grew to understand one another, and then they became friends. And in the end, they were willing to die for one another. Now, I absolutely love the courage of these young princes, these sons of Mosiah, to be servants and examples of peace that's offered through the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter how vile our sins have been, if we repent and serve Him. Well, how do we serve Him? It's the wisdom of the grandfather. When you're in the service of your fellow beings, then you're serving God.
I also love the courage of King Lamoni and his father and his brother Anti-Nephi-Lehi and how they gave up the mud so that they could soar. Lamoni's father gives us that beautiful passage in the scriptures. He says, O God, I will give away all my sins to know Thee. Let me give a more modern example of a way to reach out for people that, that you might not traditionally think about. Most of you are going to remember Sister Linda K. Burton, who was the General Relief Society president at the time. In April of 2016, in General Conference, she quoted a scripture that's revered by Christians, Muslims, and Jews. It's Leviticus 19, and it says, If a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, ye shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. And Sister Burton asked us to think about the strangers among us. Is there anyone who doesn't participate in society for some reason? Somebody who's on the periphery because of language or background or disability or religion, family status or life choices, anything that they're not fully participating in the circle? And can we think of them as brothers and sisters? Can we serve them? And since that time in 2016, I've been in awe of how many examples have been shared from that great call to action. And I just want to share one with you. I took this out of the Deseret News. It's a, it's a story that took place in Lincoln Elementary School in South Salt Lake, and it has students from 15 different countries. So on the first day of school, the Hamid brothers, who have just arrived from Syria, were greeted by Principal Milton Collins. You can see him there. And he's this larger-than-life personality. And he does this crazy bobcat growl, which is the Lincoln mascot. <laughs> I can't imagine what that sounds like. But he makes sure every kid has a backpack, and he tells them, oh, by the way, high fives are mandatory. Whenever you see me in the hall, you must give me a high five. And if they feel any kind of bullying or things, that they should go straight to an, an adult. His job is to be the principal. He's doing his job. But he's going beyond his job to be an unforgettable force in the lives of those kids. And they've experienced bombs and hunger and the death of loved ones and uncertainty. And now it's the first day of school and they're scared to death. They don't know if they're going to fit in, if they're going to have any friends, and their parents are even more scared than they are. As a true disciples of Jesus Christ, these habits of fearless courage, of being willing to serve and help people with their problems, and of thinking of people in terms of brothers and sisters, these habits should be with us all of our lives. The big humanitarian crises that are going on right now and the ones in the past happen when people are driven out of their homes and lands, but at their heart they are failures of knowing that we are really brothers and sisters and that God is the Father of us all. That's the root cause of what's happening in the world. And when we respond in a humanitarian way, we can send bushels of food, we can dig wells, we can build latrines, we can put up schools and health centers, and we can settle people into apartments. But if we don't do something about the strangers, about them feeling like strangers instead of our brothers and sisters, then the whole thing is in vain, and we're just going to feed that cycle of emotional and spiritual misery. Ammon and Sister Burton and Milton Collins are all using as a foundation what King Benjamin taught. To serve others is to serve God. 
Or as Jesus Himself said, as I have loved you, love one another. There are many, many organizations and people who do enormous amounts of good in the world with their limited resources and their Benjamin-like desires to serve their fellow beings and to serve God. And in my work, I'm privileged to work with so many of them, and I get to see what's being done in the world. And I'm going to speak to you from my experience now about what I have seen that accomplishes the most lasting good. And if you want to be involved in humanitarian service, this is the way. The way is, and I hope this is the thing that you'll remember out of the forum today, you are the gift. You yourself are the gift. It's not the clothing. It isn't hygiene kits or school desks or wells. It's you. What would it look like if each of us were our own well-stocked humanitarian organization? But instead of giving out tangible goods in foreign locations, we had the richness of dispensing healing and friendship and respect and peaceful dialogue and sincere interest and protective listening of children and birthday remembrances and talking to the stranger. What if that were what your humanitarian organization did? This kind of humanitarian work can be done by anybody, and it can be done at any time. And you don't need warehouses and fundraising and transportation. And you can be perfectly responsive to any need that comes to you wherever you are. I want to show a three-minute video about this kind of humanitarian organization. The video was made by uh, Elder Robert D. Hales, and he's talking about the interactions between parents and children. But when you watch it, think of it instead as a handbook of how you might extend humanitarian offerings to brothers and sisters. Let's watch the video. May I share some of what I've learned as a father and a grandfather to encourage parents and all who are called to lead and serve the youth of this world. Several years ago, I was reading the newspaper when one of my grandsons snuggled up to me. As I read, I delighted to hear his sweet little voice chattering on in the background. Imagine my surprise when a few moments later, he pushed himself between me and the newspaper, taking my face in his hands and pressing his nose up to mine, he asked, Grandpa, are you in there? Mother, father, are you there? Grandpa, grandma, are you there? Being there means understanding the hearts of our youth and connecting with them. Connecting with them means not just conversing with them, but doing things with them too. To truly understand their hearts, we must do more than just be in the same room or attain the same family and church activities. We must plan and take advantage of teaching moments that make a deep and lasting impression upon their minds and hearts. I remember as a young man asking permission to play baseball through dinner time. I said to my mother, just put my meal in the oven. She responded, Robert, I really want you to take a break, come home, be with the family for dinner, and then you can go out and play baseball until dark. She taught all of us that where family meals are concerned, it's not the food, but the family interaction that nourishes the soul. 
fathers, mothers, as you drive or walk children to school in their various activities, do you take the time to take the earplugs so that they can hear you and feel of your love? Do you take the time to talk about their hopes and dreams and fears? For our interactions to truly touch their hearts, we have to pay attention to them just as we pay attention to a trusted adult colleague or a close friend. Most important is letting them talk, then asking them questions, and then being willing to listen. Yes, listen. And listen some more. I ask the Lord's blessings to be with the parents and with the youth, that they might be loved, directed, and guided that we may have eternal families and be together forever in the presence of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. I miss Elder Hales. And I love that scene in there of the young boy talking to his dad on the couch, and then suddenly the boy is older, and then the light gets dimmer and dimmer. But that dad is so engaged. I think about the example that the prophets are giving us. From President Monson, you know, all of the stories that we know, and I saw it with my own eyes at that care center. He would go on a regular basis and just sit down and visit with people who didn't have anybody. I happened to be in the room where President Nelson's family was waiting during the, the uh, press conference this week when it, uh, the first presidency, the new first presidency was announced. And I think he has 80 grandchildren and like 117 great grandchildren. <laughs> And I said, I said to one of his granddaughters who was telling me that, and she said, oh, he knows everybody's name, everybody's birthday. She's, he's the one who keeps track more than anybody else. Those are the examples of our prophets. Those aren't giant, enormous examples, but they are meaningful. I think about the Savior who had to save all of mankind, and he had to teach his gospel in a culture that didn't understand it. And what did he do? That message had to go to all the world. And what he ended up doing was walking 122 miles up and down from Dan to Beersheba and ministering to people one-on-one. -on -one. Now, how's that going to get the gospel out to the whole world? But that's what he did. If we change our perspective so that caring for the poor and the needy is less about giving stuff away and more about filling the hunger for human contact, and without hearing meaningful conversations and creating rich and positive relationships, then the Lord can send us someplace. Every single person can do this on his or her own. You don't need a fund, but it's going to take some commitment. Some people are not going to respond positively, and others are going to put out a kind of toxic energy, which just means they're not ready for your relationship. There's always humanitarian places that we can't reach but there are plenty that we can reach. We live in a world that's coming apart. It's being pulled apart so that the unity of community and respect for other people's beliefs and tolerance of differences and the protection of the minority voice is being shredded. It's extremely destructive to all of us when everyone outside of this narrow little clan becomes an enemy that we're going to vilify. As those forces in our society rise up, then so must an answering strong sentiment and a skill set on the opposite side. If I had the power, 
I would have every single person in this room, every person who's watching on television, come down and stand in front, and I would name each one of you a humanitarian ambassador of peace and friendship, from the Church of God to the Kingdom of God. This isn't about who's good and bad, and it's not about who's rich or who's poor. The sons of Mosiah and the Lamanite people of King Lamoni, they show us that we all fail. We all make a mess of things occasionally. We all struggle with different sins. We're all down in the mire. But through the grace of Jesus Christ, we can repent and we can keep trying to be better, more like Him. And trying to be like Him, we can make alliances with other people who are also trying for good in ways that may be very different from ours, but they strive to do the right things for the right reasons. And they recover from their mistakes the same as we do through the virtues of God as they appeal to Him for help. I want to close by saying aloud the words that the Lord has spoken in the Doctrine and Covenants. He speaks them directly to those ambassadors like you whom He's going to send. This isn't a feel-good scripture that kind of pats us on the back. It's a bold, vibrant call to action for people like us who set their hearts on the safety and the equal chances of other people. In other words, that's going to be Zion. This is from Doctrine and Covenants 58. Behold, verily I say unto you, and you can insert your name right there, Behold, verily I say unto you, for this cause have I sent you that you might be obedient and that your hearts might be prepared to bear testimony of the things which are to come, and also that you might be honored in laying the foundation and in bearing record of the land upon which the Zion of God shall stand, and also that a feast of fat things might be prepared for the poor, yea, a feast of fat things, of wine on the lees well refined, that the earth may know that the mouths of the prophets shall not fail. Yea, a supper of the house of the Lord, well prepared, unto which all nations shall be invited, first the rich and the learned and the wise and the noble, and after that cometh the day of my power. Then shall the poor, the lame, and the blind and the deaf come in unto me and the marriage of the Lamb and partake of the supper of the Lord, prepared for the great day to come. Behold, I the Lord have spoken it and that the testimony might go forth from Zion, yea, from the mouth of the city of the heritage of God. Yea, for this cause have I sent you. The questions that I want to leave with you today are these. How are you going to help people who are poor in spirit? And can you stitch a relationship as well as you stitch a quilt? What enemy are you going to start viewing as a brother? And do you want to live your life as a hog or as an eagle? The Lord says, For this cause I have sent you. If you feel like you're stuck in a hole and you can't flap your wings like an eagle because of all the mud that's in them, then take heart. Take the sons of Mosiah to heart. Take Lamoni and his people as your example. The Lord wants to use you, and there's a work for you to do, and it's specific to you and your abilities, and nobody will be the ambassador that you will be. But you need to be clean to do it. Jesus can lift you out of the mire and set you on your way. Repent, and He will forgive. And remember that in the same way as the Savior, 
You yourself are one of the best gifts that you can give to other people in need. This is my testimony. It's been true in my own life, and I pray that it may be so for all of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Mountain, 1 Eastern, for an hour of inspiration and recentering. Today we heard Turning Enemies into Friends by Sharon Eubank. Find a link to the full text, audio, and video of this address at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.